Hello, I'm Antonia Preble and you are listening to The Most of It, where I speak to people with a range of expertise and experiences as I endeavour to find the answer to one big question. How do we make the most of our lives? Today's guest is an amazing young woman pioneering so much more than just fashion. Maggie Hewitt is the driving force behind Maggie Marilyn, a fashion label that's based on quality fashion garments that are 100% ethical. Still in her mid-twenties, Maggie's drive and maturity is just so impressive. She knows exactly what she wants and she thinks she knows how to get there, but she's also honest enough to admit that she doesn't have all the answers. In fact, she's honest about a lot of things, especially her struggles. She talks about how hard she found at starting a fashion label, how challenging it is coming to grips with being the boss, and just how hard it is to try to make fashion that is both affordable and ethical. But she always comes back to what she calls her North Star, which is her passion that keeps her going and makes everything worth it. This is just such a rewarding conversation that is so relevant as we look at today's world and also to the future. So I hope you guys really enjoy it. Well, hello, Maggie. Thank you so much for coming to my house. On this rainy Friday, yeah, it's really lovely to meet you. I, I was saying to Maggie before we started recording that I, I saw you at a conference that we were both at a couple of years ago, and I was just so impressed with everything you were saying. So it's just, I'm so happy to have you thank on this you. podcast, and I think you'll have a lot of wisdom and insight to, to thank share with you. us. So no, I'm happy you. to be here. So nice to be sipping tea on a rainy day inside. Isn't it? So much has happened for you since 2016 when you launched Maggie Marilyn. Yeah. Do you sometimes just go, whoa, what happened? (laughs) It's kind of funny. Actually, no. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I think I'm myself's harshest critic and I just, I'm so ambitious and I'm always looking to the future and what I want to achieve that I'm never really looking backwards thinking, oh, wow. And I don't mean that in a way that I'm not grateful for some of the incredible moments that we've had. You know, there's been some like pinch myself moments, definitely. But I think I just feel like we still have so much to do. I think especially within the sustainability space, our journey is not done there. We have so much more that we need to achieve and do. So I'm kind of just, that's my focus, really. Fair enough. You're looking forwards, not backwards. Yeah. And so have you always had an interest in sustainability as a child growing up? I think I've always had an appreciation for my surroundings. You know, I think I grew up in a very small town, you know, in the Bay of Islands, and I appreciated the environment around me. And yeah, I think I always had a high level of empathy, but I wouldn't say that I knew what sustainability was or environmentalism or activism, to be honest. I think that really that came from my time at university. And I always say that I could have been quite a different designer and leader if I hadn't have gone to the university that I went to, because it really did open my eyes to what the fashion industry is responsible for and not a lot of good, to be honest. Uh, And that didn't sit well with me. So it was a lot to take in going to university at the age of 20 and realizing that this industry that I looked up to my whole life, it was kind of like, I don't know if I want to be a part of it. Wow. That must've been quite upsetting on it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was, this is your passion. You want, you decided you went to university, decided this is what I want to do with my life. And I am such a fashion lover. You know, when I was 14, I was watching sex in the city, dreaming of living the New York life, (laughs) you know, I lived and breathed fashion and it wasn't necessarily because I couldn't actually take a a sewing class at school. So I didn't know how to sew, but I just had this infatuation with beautiful clothing and watching shows like Sex in the City and just how empowering clothing was really and how um, you could be anyone that you wanted to be by how you dressed. But Yeah, it was pretty overwhelming going to university and realizing that 
the negative effect that the fashion industry had not only on the environment but the people involved in the supply chain just all in the name of clothing it didn't make sense to me I'm like okay I love a good dress but not enough for the negative effect that it could have on people's lives or our planet so yeah so what are some of those negative effects oh (laughs) man where do I even start it's um it's overwhelming really I think Firstly, from an environmental perspective, you know, fashion is one of the most polluting industries in the world. It's from the dye effluent runoff to carbon emissions. It's not responsible for a lot of good, to be honest. Um, Sorry for anyone that loves fashion out there, but that is the reality. And then the horrific things that go on within the supply chain, modern day slavery, really. And I just couldn't be a part of that at all. Uh, You know, I think the more you learn, the more you can't unlearn. And to me, I just kind of grew quite obsessive with knowing more and understanding more about the negative effects that the fashion industry has on people and the planet. And uh, yeah, got to the end of my degree and actually had the conversation with my parents where I said, I don't think I want to be in fashion. Sorry, I did this degree spent four years of my life learning about this, but I don't think I want to be a part of it. So yeah, that's quite a formative process to go through as like a 21 year old, really, I guess, having this thing that you absolutely love and then realizing that, um, it doesn't fit with your compass, your moral compass. Yeah. It doesn't fit with my values. Didn't really see how I could be part of the solution and not be part of the problem. So I spent a few months just kind of pondering what I was going to do, I guess, But then I'm really fortunate to have the family support that I have, my mum and dad. I think I only realise it now that I'm a little older, but growing up in a household where no dream was ever too big, like I was such a dreamer as a kid, I said to my parents the first time that we went to New York, I'm going to be in Saks Fifth Ave one day, you know, and I think most parents... I don't know, it would have maybe been like, okay, yeah, nice. Yeah, I totally relate to what you're saying because I am, you know, slightly unusual, I guess, in that I've known I've wanted to be an actress for my whole life, yeah, really. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, like from my earliest yeah. memories. Yeah, me with fashion as well. Really? Yeah. And my parents also, I owe a lot to them because they never once said, okay, but you'll also need to get a real job. Yes, totally. Because acting is so absolutely. often belittled and it's a hobby yeah. or it's the sort of like, Bit of a silly yeah, creative thing to do. industries in general, right? It's like, oh, that's so nice. You know, that sounds nice, love. Um, Good for you, but what are you actually going to yeah, do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, there's such an impact, isn't there? Because we look up to our parents so much, and they, are, you know, godlike figures. For, yeah. for the first part of our lives, yeah, at least, absolutely. And if there is that negative reaction, it gets in on such a deep level. Yeah. And I, I know amongst yeah, quite a, a lot of the people I know in various industries, if they yeah. haven't had that parental support, there's actually a lot of internal yeah. conflict yeah. within them all the time. Is yeah. sh- should I be doing this? Is this a worthy thing to do? Yeah. So yeah, that we are both really fortunate to yeah. not to that we didn't have that experience. Yeah, absolutely, I feel really blessed. Any wild crazy dream that I had my parents were like oh absolutely Mags that like you can do that of course so I I grew up with that mentality which I feel yeah really blessed to have had and and were you always because I feel like you are you're a rule breaker in the best possible way (laughs) you know you're an innovator and a revolutionary really have have you always been like that like were you always sort of thinking outside the box and I think I just always ask lots of questions to me I never really took the status quo as, okay, cool. That's the way it is. So that's the way it's going to stay. That never made sense to me. I always ask so many questions, probably to my teachers and lecturers, absolute dismay, but, um, yeah. Maggie, yes, again. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I guess there was students in my degree at uni that probably learnt what I learnt, but maybe it didn't resonate with them in the same level. I think I can remember walking into my first lecture and it was on Nike sweatshops and my jaw was, I just was so shocked. You know, I owned Nike and like literally since then, after like eight years, I haven't ever worn Nike Wow. Um, because it just resonated with me. I just was like, this is disgusting. Like modern day slavery, this billion dollar company. And I just, 
I don't know. I, I would tell everyone about it. I'm like, this is crazy. But for, for some people, it doesn't quite sink in, yeah, does it? Yeah, it doesn't, I think. Uh, so, yeah, I think I've always been like that to a certain extent. And um, with a really strong, I feel like you have a really strong sense of value, of your own values. Have you always had that? Like, known what, like a strong sense of integrity and what's right and wrong? I think so. And I think, again, that comes from my parents. You know, I think I would say my mum is honestly the kindest person in the world, like, just has the best heart. And I think she just installed that in me. You know, I think. I don't know, this is like a crazy example, but if we saw someone kind of slip over in the rain, she would start crying because she would be so empathetic empathetic and upset, you know, and she would run out to them and just she would feel people's pain. And so I think I've learned that from her. Whenever I see someone in pain, I literally feel that myself. So I think... Yeah, maybe that heightened level of empathy has gotten me into being an activist in my industry. Mm. So you're 21 and you've left university and you're thinking, don't know if I can do this. Spending some time thinking about possibly your passion being crushed. I know. And I just thought, (laughs) this is the only thing I've known, the only thing I've ever wanted to do. I think I started to do some research and think, well, you know what? I still love fashion. So what am I going to do about that? Am I just going to buy secondhand for the rest of my life? Like what are the brands that I believe in their values and that I want to buy into? And at the time, even though this was only four years ago, there wasn't really any other brands that were at an accessible price point. There was like a Stella McCartney say she has absolutely led the way, but she's at a luxury price point. I was a uni grad. There was no way I could afford Stella McCartney. And yeah, there was Gabriella Hurst, Eileen Fisher. There was these brands that had been in the space for a long time, but it wasn't accessible. So I thought to myself, maybe I could create a brand that could empower everyone in the supply chain and eventually have a regenerative impact on our environment whilst it being accessible and offering that same level of empowerment to the customer. Of I know how good it feels when you put on a blazer and you feel like you can change the world. So yeah, when I kind of figured that out, I guess I decided very naively, I always say, to start my own brand. So yeah, we launched September 2016. Wow. And did your brand come fully formed in terms of your vision and all the elements of your vision, or has this been a work in progress? <laughs> An absolute work in progress. I mean, I just encourage anyone that has a passion and they want to make a positive difference in the world, just start. Like, you're never going to get everything right. You're never going to have a perfect plan. And I think failing is such an important process in building a business. Like there's just so many decisions that I've made that have been absolute disasters, but like, what's an example? Oh my gosh. It's honestly endless. I mean, (laughs) I don't know if people really understand, but when I first got into this, I literally knew nothing about business. You know, the only thing I knew how to do was design and build a beautiful collection, but I didn't know about production. I had no idea how to turn one dress that I'd made into 400 dresses. You know, I had no idea what that process looked like. So, you know, in our first couple of seasons, I was managing our production. It was an absolute disaster. I think we had like negative margins. Like it was just absolutely horrific, you know? So, great business model. Yeah, great business model. We were we non for profit back then. <laughs> yeah, definitely so, not for profit. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's just a learning experience, you know? I was lucky enough that I did come from a family that had an entrepreneurial spirit. My dad's in business for himself and has been an amazing mentor. So I definitely had that along the way. But yeah, it's just been learning and growing and trying things out, figuring out what works, what doesn't work. And I think overall, and I always say this to people, having a purpose, if you have a purpose and you have a Northern Star, it always finds a way to guide you in the right direction. I truly believe in that. I think if you don't have that, then of course you're kind of just going to like waft all around the show, you're not going to really know what you should be doing, but I've always known what my Northern Star is. So that's guided the way. I'm so glad you brought that up because I I wanted to ask you about purpose because I've actually um, 
got a quote that is from your website on the power of purpose, which really stood out to me because uh, we talk a lot about purpose on this podcast yeah. because it's about the, you know, the purpose of this podcast <laughs> uh, is about creating a meaningful and fulfilling life and, yeah. and getting the most out of your life. Yeah. And having a purpose is so intrinsic to that. Absolutely. But you said, Maggie, <laughs> if this past year has taught me anything, it is about the power of purpose. Every day we face roadblocks on our path to creating a better industry, but every day I am reminded of the importance of continuing to push forward. I know my purpose is to be a force for good, to create positive change in our industry, and to be a brand that hopefully inspires other industries to do the same. They're such strong, powerful words, and I mean, I can't even begin to imagine the challenges that you must have faced at the beginning and ongoing. Oh, ongoing for sure. Yeah. And so as having this, as you say so beautifully, this northern star of your purpose, the thing that enables you to keep going. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't want to sugarcoat what it's like to be in business. I think I've absolutely dedicated the last four years of my life to building Maggie Marilyn. Like there hasn't been a lot of time for much else in all honesty. And like what's a typical day for you, for example? I wake up at 5.30 and I'm usually at work by 6.30. Mm-hmm. They come in early bed. Glamorous. Very Your glamorous. Your life is so glamorous. And, <laughs> and I'd probably leave work at 6 or 7. And that's been my life largely for the last four years. Seven days a week? Yeah. Apart from when I'm traveling and usually when I'm traveling, the days are much longer. So it's a lot of personal sacrifice for a professional Yeah, it really is. And I've had days where it is just excruciatingly hard because I really give it my whole soul and I feel so responsible for the people that we employ, but our wider community of manufacturers and suppliers and doing right by them and really wholeheartedly wanting to make a positive difference and show our customers that product can be made in a beautiful way. And yeah, wanting to be a brand that, like I said in that quote, that hopefully can change the fashion industry and through that inspire other industries. You know, I've always felt like I've wanted to change the world. Like I I was put on this planet to do good and that is what I'm here to do. I've always felt like that. So Sometimes that's a heavy burden, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And it, because it really matters to you. So it <laughs> yeah. can't just be a failing or a mistake, can't just be water off a yeah. duck's back because yeah. it cuts to the quick of yeah. your identity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I was just thinking as you're talking, you've really put yourself in the pretty challenging position of being a role model, not only to women in leadership, but to the fashion industry at large. It's a really vulnerable position to be in. How do you find that, you know, having to be out the front, taking the bullets? I find it hard, to be honest. And people find that ironic because my name's Maggie Marilyn. Marilyn's my middle name. And I've called the business Maggie Marilyn. And sometimes I wish I actually just called it something completely random. But it seemed like the easiest thing to call the brand at the time was my name. I don't have my own personal Instagram. And you won't see much of me personally on our Instagram for anyone that follows us. So I do find it hard to be the face of the brand, in all honesty, just because I am quite a private person, but I have this brand. And it it is hard, to be honest. I just feel a lot of responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So how do you cope with that? Do you have any strategies that you consciously employ on a day-by-day basis to look after your own mental health? Yeah, I think so much of it is having the right people around you. I really believe in that. I'm so blessed to have the most incredible team that lift me up. I think spend a lot of the time lifting me up and giving me the fuel and energy to to be the leader of the pack and having such an optimistic team because I am such an optimist at heart. I think just having people sitting beside you saying like, no, it's fine. We can do this. We'll pick ourselves up, you know, when something difficult happens or it can look like successes have just come our way. But you know, for every success we've had, we've had a failure and beside that, and people just don't often see that. And to be fair, we don't often project that on social media. You know, no one really projects their failures or their struggles. So there are those behind the scenes and I'm just blessed to have a team that sits beside me and supports me and the vision and the brand in pushing forward. 
you know, picking yourself up and getting back in the game essentially and having such an incredible family that I think you can't do this on your own, you know. I think anyone would attest to that that's in business or in a creative industry, you know, you need that support from family and friends and the people that you work alongside. So, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, it's just too lonely, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. totally. And, and too much responsibility. Yeah. And it, to be honest, it sometimes does feel like a lonely road, you know. Um, Are you a natural leader? I don't know if I'm a natural leader. I think because I watched my dad be my dad's such an inspiration to me in terms of how he leads and how he's worked with his team. Uh, he's such an empathetic leader. So I think I get a lot of that from him. But um, I haven't always found it easy, though, to be honest. Like, I'm definitely someone that shies away from confrontation. And that's a big thing that you have to learn to own up to and face head on in business. You know, I would much rather walk away or run away from a difficult conversation, you know, whether it's with one of my team or, you know, a supplier or a customer, whatever. I That's something I've had to work through, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I'd find that really hard. I, yeah. I don't have to manage anybody other than <laughs> myself, but I think... I feel like that would be the hardest thing for yeah. me as well. And you started so young and you are a woman, which unfortunately um, both those things can often count against you. Yeah, absolutely. In business and yeah. particularly in leadership roles. Yeah. Did you find challenges in that area? Or, I and think do you so. continue to? Absolutely. I think sometimes, um, you know, I would go to a meeting and sometimes my dad would come to support and the person that I'd be in the meeting with, even though I'm the owner of my business, would just constantly look at my dad for the answers or for affirmation, you know, and I'd be like, hello, this is like, he's just here as a support person, you know. He's whether, my wingman, literally. Yeah, <laughs> whether it was like something as simple as a meeting with a lawyer or whatever. Yeah, I've definitely faced that, absolutely. Or when I've had consultants in the business or people that work alongside me that are older but work for me and people will look towards them. So, yeah, I mean, it is a challenge. But also I think there's something kind of great about being underestimated, you know, like sometimes I think that's a strength mm-hmm. um, being young people. and a woman that you can surprise people. Yeah. So if you're in that kind of situation, I'd say have, yeah, having to do something that you would naturally find challenging, that's even more challenging because um, you know that people aren't going to give you the respect that might be due. What do you do? Do you say that like, give yourself affirmations or just tell yourself to push through or fake it till you make it? What's your it's process? so fake it till you make it. <laughs> Absolutely. It really feels like that some days. And I always kind of joke, me and my dad joke sometimes that being in business feels like being an actor or an actress. Cause uh-huh. sometimes it feels like you know, if I'm going to walk in the office and I'm not feeling confident. I mean everyone has those days where you're like yeah. I don't know, you have an existential crisis and you're like, what am I doing again? Like, what's the point? I don't know. I, I definitely have those moments. And, you know, you wake up and you like put your game face on, you know, because when people come to work for you, it's like you owe them that kindness that you're going to be a leader and you're going to lead with strength and optimism and courage and kindness. And that's not something that you automatically feel every day. So Sometimes it's a fake it till you make it and putting on your game face for sure. Yeah, I know I know exactly what you mean. I Because, we're, well, all of us are human beings. Yeah, and we all <laughs> have to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, and we, we all have days yeah. when we just don't want to do it. I mean, I have days when I just do not want to be on camera, you know, because yeah. whatever's oh, going sure. on, I just feel like I don't want to be looked at up close, but yeah. that's my job and I'm getting yeah. paid to do it. So you just yeah. have And people to. think it's easy because that's your job and you signed up for that, so you must find it easy. But like you say, we're all human and we all have days, um, no matter what you do, where it's a struggle. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It just is. And I think it's so important to talk about that because it can, from the outside, because mm. because everyone's faking it till they make it, yes. which is great. Yes. Yeah. But that does mean we can't yeah. see we can't see the struggle. We can't see the yeah. swan's yeah. legs, you know, swimming so yeah. so fiercely beneath yeah. the surface. And I just don't think there's a person that exists really that struggles with nothing ever. No. And even the more you do something, it might become more familiar, but usually the stakes are just getting higher. Yeah. And in your situation, that's absolutely true as you continue yeah. to like dominate yeah. the world. Oh, thank <laughs> you. No, absolutely. And it's something honestly that we're trying to be more conscious of, even on our Instagram, sharing the challenges that we face as a business. And sometimes 
that can feel really difficult. I shared a post a few weeks ago when we were in lockdown around how I was feeling and I'd never really talked openly in interviews about how much I battled with anxiety and depression and those sorts of things. And I did a post about it and I honestly felt the next day when I woke up to comments on the post and I felt this hot sweat overcome me and think like, it's funny how you can feel so much shame through being vulnerable and open. I, I wanted to delete it. I was like, oh, I was too open. Who cares that I deal with that? Whatever. Yeah. Um, but there's so much strength, collective strength in being honest and, and sharing the challenges that you face and that you're human and the amount of messages that I got, people saying, this is what I do for anxiety. This is what I do for depression was, I think, so inspiring. And, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, everyone talks about anxiety, but you know. Because I, everyone suffers from anxiety. So it yeah, needs to be talked about. Totally. And, and that people might look at me and look at us on Instagram and think, oh, I could never be a leader. I could never do that because I struggle with crippling anxiety or I struggle with depression or whatever. But we all struggle with that to a certain extent. And yeah, I'm trying to be more vulnerable, I think, and share in the challenges that we face because there are many, that's for sure. Oh, good on you. I, I, yeah. pe- people will just be so empowered by yeah. that because it's so important to have role models for everything, for the things that we want yeah. to do, but also the things that we feel yeah. so we don't feel so alone. alone yeah, them. totally. Yeah. I think so. And I think if you're willing to share the good, you have to be willing to share the bad. I think that's my new mentality, that it's just not okay to only project the good. I think it's irresponsible. So That's so true. And yeah. It's a weird thing to say. I think your website's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> but I do. And Aww. I would actually recommend everyone who's listening to go to Thank the Maggie you. Marilyn website because it's more than just a website. Because really what I get the sense of at Maggie Marilyn, it's more than just a clothing line. Yeah. It's a culture. It's a vision. It's a, yeah. a way of thinking. Yeah, and it's a way of life, hopefully. Yeah, and yeah. you have so many lovely parts to it, such as the chickens with your staff. Yeah. And I was just reading them earlier before you came over and where your staff are sharing their Mm. vulnerabilities. And it was which was amazing that they were open to doing that as well. So did you I was really suggest that initiative and I kind of went first and said, Hey, I just want people to share like you guys to be able to share how your lockdown's going, but you can make it funny if you want to make it funny, lighthearted. If you want to be vulnerable, be vulnerable, but no pressure. And I was really inspired by how vulnerable they were able to be as well. Cause it's not easy. It's just not. It's really not. Did you find though, when you did that post acknowledging your own struggles, if that's the right word with yeah. experiences, I yeah. should say with anxiety and depression, yeah. even though you got the cold sweats, did you feel a sense of spaciousness and you afterwards, like you'd sort of shed something and there is sort of a power I think in that? afterwards, maybe like three or four days afterwards. After the panic. I, yeah, after the panic. To be honest, first, I am, like I said, such a private person that, I don't know, it seems ridiculous, but I just think shame and vulnerability are so associated with one another. Absolutely. I just felt shame, like ashamed that I was so open or ashamed that I deal with that, which is ridiculous because, I mean, gosh, some people deal have to deal with far worse, you know. So, but it doesn't um, go with the cookie cutter image of yes. who Maggie Marilyn the brand is, I think, right? I think that was the thing. I had yeah. built up this persona for myself of Maggie, who's so strong, who's unbreakable, who leads with courage, who's so optimistic, and then to kind of break that down and say, "Oh, hang on a minute, I actually am human, and I also deal with these things." I don't know. Maybe it's the inner ego, you know been slightly bruised as well in all reality. But um, I think after the feedback that I got and that it did help so many people, I I think that's what was inspiring for sure. That's so great. Well, it's sort of encouraging people to see you more, isn't it? Um, In a more three-dimensional way, because all of those things you mentioned that you're optimistic and lead from the heart, they still exist alongside having those vulnerabilities as well. And in fact, it just enriches It's not one or the other, right? I mean, you know, we all have those days where we feel so empowered and optimistic and like we could do anything. But then we all also have those days where we don't want to get out of bed and you're like, oh, it's just too hard. So what do you do? Do you um, like any sort of meditation or exercise or any gratitude practices that that, that help um, you? 
my PR and head of digital, she's amazing. She's a yoga instructor and she's been such a calming influence on me. She's only been with us for a little over a year, but she's incredible. And she introduced me to the Headspace app. I love Headspace. Which is I amazing. really wanted to get Andy on this podcast, but he hasn't got a match yet. <laughs> Too busy, probably. Um, but it, no, keep trying. I'll, I'll keep hey, trying. Yeah, you, optimistic. You keep, lead yeah, with the heart. Absolutely, you keep doing it, sister. Um, <laughs> but I think that really helps. To be honest, I'm trying to get more into doing yoga and that sort of thing. I'm just useless at trying to find the time. But I do love yoga and Pilates. I have a dog and I take her for walks. And honestly, something as simple as that, like going for a walk along the beach with her. I love going out west, like taking her to Piha and just walking on the beach. I think that that is incredible for when I'm feeling a little lost. I'm not good at having a regime, to be honest. It's hard, isn't it? It's, it is hard. It's, um, what, I think it's so hard to give time to something that's quite abstract as opposed yes. to when there are lots of tangible things yeah. that need your attention. Yeah. And that, of course, you must have your yeah. to-do list every day. It just must be. Yeah, but I actually, I have recently really gotten into poetry, mm-hmm. which I never thought it would be something that I could find so grounding and peaceful. But I think there's something really amazing in just having, I just have a stack of them on my desk and you can just kind of flick through it and poems that are maybe only four or five lines long. And it takes you, you know, a minute to read and it can be so grounding and inspiring and it can kind of make you recheck yourself. So I, yeah, for anyone that, you know, needs something, that's something that I would definitely say, go to your bookstore and pick up a few poetry books. That's a really, really yeah. great idea because it kind of, poetry kind of cuts to the quick of yes. our humanity, doesn't yes, it? Absolutely. Yeah, it was an amazing clarity. Yeah, yeah. I was no introduced through our PR consultant to Cleo Wade a few years ago and she's become a friend of the brand and she's such an inspiration. So I literally like bring her book with me everywhere because I just find it so inspiring. Oh, cool. Yeah. So anyone that um, doesn't know who she is, her book Heart Talk is... Cleo Wade, Heart Talk. Yeah. It's incredible. You you will love it. Okay. I will definitely love it. it. You can basically read the whole book probably in like an hour and it's just, yeah, these really quick, easy, digestible poems that are just so uplifting. Mm. Do you yeah. ever use poetry as design inspiration? Yeah. You do? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Because I'm so affected by my mood and it's something that I have to watch a little bit sometimes when I'm designing. You can always tell if I'm being in a really optimistic mood by the color palette or if I haven't been so optimistic, actually, if you look through past seasons. But yeah, absolutely. I just find poetry so inspiring. So yeah. And what what else influences your design process? I always go up to my parents still have a holiday home um, in the Bay of Islands. So where I'm originally from. So I always go up there to design. Do and you? I think I just That's so cool. I always say I don't think I'm really a city person at heart. I think growing up in a small town yeah, maybe that's who I am at heart, small town girl. So I I love going back and just, I think that's where I feel the most centered. It's just really quiet and peaceful. And yeah, I think in order to be creative, sometimes you have to be able to clear your mind to be able to let the creative ideas come through and flow. So yeah. Do you find that creative side of it easy? No. No? (laughs) Um, It depends what season, where I'm at. I think I have had seasons where I can design a collection in a few hours. No way. Yeah. You mean it's sort of like you download it and channel it from somewhere. It's so easy. It just flows through and I'm just, I absolutely love what I'm doing and I'm like the hours will pass by and, but there's times where I'll go away and I'll just be like, twiddling my pencil because I'm old school I just sketch on a pad and I'm just like wow there are no ideas and sometimes I freak out and like I don't think I can design like I think I've this is it I've given everything I can (laughs) give um so yeah I definitely have creative blocks but I think eventually it always comes but I am starting to realize I guess as the business has gotten busier and busier and my time has slipped more and more from the creative side how important it is to get back to that because at the end of the day, 
I am a creative at heart and that's where I feel like I truly belong when I'm being creative. Is the design process all down to you still? That's I have a, a design team, but I sign off on everything. Still creative director. So I, I lead the charge, yeah, in terms of the creative direction of each collection. But it's not easy, to be honest. At, just because you're creative, I don't think it means you have like endless ideas and that it's always easy. Yeah, and you just have to keep doing it don't you I mean, I'm yeah. just I'm relating it to my experiences like some characters for yeah. me are really easy and I read yeah. it and go oh okay I know exactly yeah. how to do this and I don't yeah. I don't have to do any research really and it yeah. just yeah it's like putting on a comfy pair of jeans yeah. or something yeah and then like, this feels familiar this feels familiar yeah. yeah and then other characters I'm like oh I can't I can't feel it yes. yet like it's sort of quite a yeah. visceral thing for me and yeah. I know yeah. if I've got it or not and yeah yes. I absolutely feel like that yeah. yeah interesting so way back in was it 2017 you launched your first collection end of 2016 end of 2016 yeah, yeah. and it just went gangbusters, didn't it? Yeah. It was picked up by Net-A-Porter, which is yeah. one of the most significant online retailers in the yeah. world. How how did that happen? I mean, that is the stuff dreams are made of. It really was, to be honest. Um, I was lucky enough to be introduced through a family friend to a lady called Jo Knight, and she had been living in London for the past few years, and she uh, had been working in fashion, so she had a contact at Net-A-Porter, and so I'd finished my collection. I'd shot my lookbook and I showed it to her and she thought, okay, I think this is something that they could be interested in. So she sent it to them. And it was just very serendipitous that it was the first time I'm pretty sure that the fashion director was coming to Sydney for Sydney Fashion Week from Netaporte. I don't think they had actually been down to Fashion Week before. So she said the fashion director's coming down to Sydney, so we should go to Sydney, show them the collection in person. I was like, okay. So we went there. She cancelled on us three times. And my mum was like, okay, this is embarrassing. We've missed our flight. Let's just go. And I pleaded with my mum. I was like, no, she's going to come. She needs to see the collection. She finally came. It was like really late at night. And it was a total roller coaster of emotions in the meeting because she loved the collection and really appreciated what we stood for as a brand but she was like we've never picked up a brand on its first season so we might just need to watch you for a few seasons seeing how you know your designs develop but then within a couple of weeks we received an order <gasps> wow and it wasn't a small order either so it was definitely like we were off with a bang was that wonderful but equally terrifying it's so funny looking back I just I think it's even more amazing now that that happened because I'm part of the industry and I realize that that isn't that common. But I think when it happened, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Got picked up by Netta Porter. Like, I don't know if I thought. Right, tick that off the yeah, list. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know that seems crazy, but I was like, okay, cool. We're doing this. And yeah, I had no idea how to produce a collection. Obviously I had the sample collection and I said, to Joe, who was working with us at the time, oh, so now we have to make this. Like I hadn't ordered, I hadn't saved fabric. I, She was like, what do you mean? And I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to have to find out where I can buy fabric from for production. Like, hey, um, Well, and Joe's like, oh, God. Oh, yeah, God. <laughs> yeah, it was a total nightmare. But it was such a labor of love. Like we had these frayed denim jackets in the first season and me and my sisters and my mum frayed denim jackets for three weeks for the wow. customers of Netaporter. Wow. Um, and my nana sat for three weeks hand embroidering flowers on the dresses. And honestly, oh, it was such wow. a family affair and it was absolutely crazy. Um, that's why I mean that it was definitely negative margins for that first season <laughs> because of how much time we all spent on it all. But it was a really special moment, that's for sure. And you have dressed some pretty amazing women, such as Michelle Obama, yeah. Meghan Markle, and our very own hero, Jacinda yeah. Ardern. How did that happen? And what was that like? Was oh. that a bit of a like, sex in the city moment? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think when you have people of that level wear the brand, it it is a pinch yourself moment for sure. I couldn't really think of three more incredible women to wear the brand, to be honest. I think, yeah, what they all obviously stand for is completely aligned with our mission and values as a brand. So yeah, it happened really organically. Uh, for all three of them, really, their stylists reached out 
and asked if they could borrow some product and and so it kind of all happened like that yeah wow and that must do amazing things for your brand yeah it does but it's not a silver bullet I think it's not the silver bullet that people think it would be absolutely for brand awareness and for critical acclaim I think as a business but it's not like it made us a success overnight you know it's not like we sold thousands of dresses or thousands of suits because they wore it I think it's quite funny I think people think that but there's no silver bullets in business I think it's just bit by bit you know having win after win after win kind of all those collective wins Mm -hmm. add up but yeah so you had the sustainable sustainability transparency vision from the beginning absolutely are you able to talk a bit about what that actually means? Yeah. Like what is a sustainable oh, totally. brand and what, what is a transparent brand? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I think... Because they're kind of buzzwords now, aren't oh, they? It's, it's trendy, which totally. I think loses a lot of authenticity. Oh, and I yeah. completely would understand as a customer why it's so confusing to understand what shopping sustainably means mm. or shopping consciously means or looks like. It's so confusing. And I think for us, we've definitely had mixed feelings about using the word sustainability in all honesty when we first launched we didn't actually use the word sustainability because for me I didn't feel like it was possible for us to be a sustainable brand in the true essence of the word really like to sustain didn't really align with where the fashion industry currently is at so we didn't use it but then we started getting comments where we would say that we were um, socially and environmentally responsible so people would be like oh so you're not sustainable and so it's like you wouldn't get categorized with this within a certain group and so I guess I started to realize that you do need to make it simple for the customer you know if there's too many different words it is too confusing it's too overwhelming so I guess you need an umbrella you need an umbrella term so I guess sustainability is the umbrella term but I think in all honesty we're in the phase of a brand of doing less harm I think we kind of go by that motto that we're definitely doing less harm but we're not yet being regenerative but being regenerative is definitely the goal so what I mean by regenerative is to give more to the planet than what we're taking away in terms of natural resources so that's definitely our northern star in terms of where we want to get to but right now so what would that look like so to take it back a little bit I guess right now where we're at is and honestly it's been such a learning curve for me in terms of my journey towards where we are today and then what our northern star is so when I first launched to me being a sustainable brand was kind of really uh entrenched in supply chain transparency so understanding who our manufacturers were and then back through the supply chain of where our fabrics and trims came from, ensuring that everyone in our supply chain was empowered by working with us and that all of the fabrics and trims that we used had the least negative environmental impact. So that was sort of the goal from the beginning. And every season we've gotten better and better at that to the point now where we have full supply chain transparency on our somewhere line, which is really exciting. And I don't know if customers really know this, but most brands don't know much more than their first tier of their supply chain, which is just the factories that they manufacture with. The actual garment. It's making and sewing the actual garment. So the materials or the... Absolutely no idea where the fabrics come from. So Mm. who... Uh, say cotton who was the person that grew it you know the farmers and then back up through the supply chain who um, spun dyed wove it into fabric most brands would have no idea and that's really scary because you can start to see how many people fall through the cracks and how many people are completely taken advantage of throughout the supply chain so that was really like a must-have to me and we feel really proud of where we are in that regard but now we're really looking at okay we're at the point where we're doing less harm than other brands but how do we get to the point where not only can we sustain where we currently are at but we can actually have a positive impact because I think the thing that people don't realize is our planet is so sick we have been so awful to mother nature that it's not enough to just sustain where we're currently at we actually have to give back and be regenerative one crazy statistic is we only have 60 years left of topsoil. 
Wow. And so for people that don't understand, like, what is that crazy person talking about? Well, topsoil is absolutely imperative to growing all of our food. Everything. Everything. So if we don't have the right ingredients in our soil, then it won't grow the food that we need and we won't have food. So to it's us, terrifying, isn't it? it's not about just, say, using organic cotton, but how can we actually give back and have a regenerative impact in our farming practices, you know? So at the moment, we're working with our merino farmers in New Zealand on regenerative agriculture looking into how we can sequester carbon from the atmosphere and pull that back down into the soil. They say that there's a statistic that if all farming around the world was farmed regeneratively, it would solve our greenhouse gas issues. Really? Yeah. Wow. We wouldn't have a a carbon problem. So So that is the way forward. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it just shows when when we say as a brand that fashion can change the world, people are like, okay, that's crazy. But, you know, fashion is a conduit for so many different industries, specifically farming for where our raw materials come from, like wool, cotton, silk, that sort of thing. If we, at least in the fashion industry, can transition our raw fibers over to regenerative farming, the impact that that would have on our CO2 emissions will be incredible. So how close or far away are we from that goal? Pretty far, to be honest. And because, like many industries, there's just so much corruption, you know, from like fertilizer, pesticide companies that make a, a lot of money from selling those to farmers, but it completely erodes our soils and takes all the vital goodness out of it. So... Yeah, we have a long way to go, to be honest, but I think the exciting thing is we know what the solution is. So if we know what the solution is, we can work towards the steps and have a roadmap of how we're going to get there. Do you think things are getting easier for you in that mission and vision, or are they getting harder? To be honest, it feels like it's getting harder just because... I'm so sorry. (laughs) Not necessarily harder. I think it's just, again, like I was saying earlier, sustainability and environmental activism is almost like a rabbit hole you know like the further you get it gets more and more complicated like I didn't know what regenerative agriculture meant when I first started Maggie Merrill and I didn't even know that that was a thing I didn't understand that we had a soil problem and that we only had 60 years left of topsoil and I just thought to myself oh great if I can use organic cotton and know that everyone throughout the supply chain is empowered then like tick box. We've done our job. We're being sustainable. Yeah. I honestly am fine to say that I really thought that four years ago, but now learning everything that I've learned throughout the last four years is like, man, that is just touching the tip of the iceberg. We have so much work to do. My dream for Maggie Marilyn is that in five years time, we're not even known as a fashion brand, to be honest. I think that we can build a brand that's so much more powerful than just fashion, that we can really be this aggregate for change. That's what inspires me. Yeah. And was your somewhere line, that's, it's a pretty amazing idea. Thank you. So that's something that you make completely in-house and you sell directly to the customer and it's fully traceable and fully circular. Is there anything else like that that you know of? Um, There's definitely brands working in the circularity space and um, the transparent space. So I, I would say, no, we're not the only one doing it. But I think what's pretty key to the line is the accessibility within the price point. That was something that was really important to me, to be able to create a brand where I didn't compromise our values from an ethical and environmental perspective, but that it could actually be accessible. Because two years into starting Maggie Marilyn, I started receiving quite a lot of emails of customers saying how much they loved the brand and uh, shared in our values, but it just wasn't something that they could afford. I have this like email of this one woman who was a single mum of two in Tauranga. And I always remember because it was just such a light bulb moment, the last email that I got from her. And it really was um, the light bulb moment for the line. I thought to myself, yes, I want to create a brand that's inclusive, not exclusive, you know, fashion historically has been so exclusive and had this mentality of, you know, you can't sit with us. And I've always, to a certain extent, felt like an outsider, I think, coming from a small town, moving to the city. You know, I 
I've always had those moments where I felt like, you know, maybe I wasn't in the cool group or whatever. So I've known what it's felt like to not fit in. And I think I always wanted to create a brand that could feel like it was for every woman and that no woman would ever look at our brand and feel like it wasn't for them. But we were doing that with our price point of the main line. And there were several reasons why there was value in that price point. You know, the garments were incredibly intricate. But I thought, you know, it's okay. We can take a step back. We can make a more simpler product and have building blocks for our women's wardrobe that were accessible, you know, that you could buy a a T-shirt for $75 and that you could buy a great blazer from us for an accessible price point. And, you know, I, I know it's a little... It's a difficult conversation when you talk about accessibility because, like, we're not talking about... It's still only accessible for some people. Yeah, like, we're not talking about a $5 T-shirt. But I think what we're talking... The customer we're talking to is the girl who loves fashion but can't afford our main line that maybe is shopping right now at a Zara or an H&M because that's what she can afford, but she wants to shop more consciously. That's where we can compete. So... Yeah, I get it. It is is tricky because the... Yes, yeah, some people can only afford a five dollar mm. t shirt, and that just yes. is is what it is. Absolutely, yeah, and it's a that's a you know a different conversation. Yeah, but um, that five dollar t shirt you can just pretty much guarantee will not be made in sustainable ethical no. ways, unfortunately. Absolutely, and even the customer that shops at Zara and that's all they can afford. But I think we're talking to the customer that maybe buys a new thing from Zara every week. You know, I think if you can afford to buy something from a fast fashion store every week, then you can actually afford to buy from our essentials line maybe a handful of times a year. So it's just a different mindset, you know? Yeah. What would your advice be to someone who wants to shop more sustainably, but also is on a budget? Yeah. Ask more questions. I think that's so important. I think we live in a world where we don't take it upon ourselves to educate ourselves. You know, we kind of, yeah, I just think people don't ask enough questions because I really believe in humanity and I believe that people are good. And I really do believe that at the end of the day. And I think that if people really understood how their clothing was made, they wouldn't buy it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's just that they haven't asked the questions and they don't know. And ignorance is not always an excuse, but I also understand that we all live busy lives and we all have different things that are more of interest to us in terms of our education. But I think clothing is incredibly important. We all wear clothes, whether or not you count yourself as someone that's into fashion or not, you're wearing clothing. So you're still part of the system. You're still buying clothing. So educate yourself and realize that you know, we don't all need as much clothing in our wardrobe as what we have. You know, I think that we can shop more consciously, more edited. And that's what was important to me with the somewhere line, creating everyday essential timeless pieces that can literally be sitting in your wardrobe 10, 15 years from now that you'll still love and the quality will still be there. And so it really is worth that investment so that even if you know, a $75 t-shirt is expensive if you're only having to buy it once every five years as opposed to a $20 t-shirt you've had to buy five times, then you can start to understand that investment, that it Mm -hmm. is worth it. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And with the Somewhere line, you've made some great innovations in terms of um, using recycled fabrics, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's so fascinating. So how much of the line is made from recycled or re- repurposed materials? So we use in our leggings, our leggings are made from regenerated nylon. So plastics, uh, fishnets from the ocean floor. Uh, we work with this really amazing company called Econil and they basically take post-consumer waste plastic and turn it into this amazing fabric that wow. we use in our leggings which is really exciting. And then these leggings... And we're not just talking old school fleece, are we? I think a lot of people, when they think plastic, they think polar fleece. Absolutely. No, it's so... (laughs) It's the most beautiful fabric. And uh, so these leggings can actually be recycled infinitely. So what we are proposing to launch in the next few years is a take-back scheme for this line. So whereby you've completely overloved it and you know it's not wearable anymore or you can send it back to us and we will uh, have a take back scheme where we will actually recycle it into new garments and so that's why the line's pretty simple we just have merino cotton and regenerated nylon and all of these three fibers can be recycled so our hope is that 
yeah, eventually the line will sit within this beautiful circular ecosystem whereby there's no waste, nothing ends up in landfill, and that our drain on natural resources is reduced as well. Wow. So this is really your life's work, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. I'm so passionate about it. I could honestly go on for hours. Sometimes I completely bore my family with it. But (laughs) yeah, I think I'm just so solution orientated. Like I said before, I think I ask a lot of questions and I think to myself, it doesn't make sense to me that literally millions and millions of tons a year of clothing goes to landfill. And I think to myself, that's crazy. There's got to be a solution for that. How can we stop so much clothing going to landfill? So I think that we've found a pretty exciting solution. So what is your next big frontier that you're wanting to conquer? Good question. Is there a priority in this sphere for you? I think definitely, um, you know, it starts to get a little higher level sustainability sort of conversation. So sorry if I'm Go for talking it. <laughs> gibberish to some people, but I think definitely our work within the regenerative space, I think to be a brand that it's not enough to just sustain or just to do less harm, but that really we are through being in business actually having a positive impact. And I think people are like, okay, great, heard it before, but there's not many businesses that actually exist that create products, that that product actually makes a positive impact, not just on people, but on the environment. That's very rare. If not, I don't know if I know many businesses that actually do that. So to be able to find solutions for that, I mean, there's no denying from my opinion that we're in a climate crisis. So you know, I feel a huge responsibility to to do more and to not just be a brand that does less harm and makes product. And I've done my job at the end of the day. That's not enough. I have to, yeah, leave the world better than I found it. Absolutely. Oh, that is so amazing. And I just wish you all the the very best of of luck for what that's worth uh, because it's such a a worthy mission that you've got. Um, So to finish, I just have three questions that I ask all of my guests. So um, the first one is, uh, what is the most significant lesson that you've learned? Oh, good question. Um, It's kind of two-pronged. I would say to always follow your gut and your intuition that sounds really cliche but and I sound like a broken record but I think that's the only thing that I've been able to rely on at the end of the day every time I've made the wrong decision and kind of had to course correct I knew I was making the wrong decision but I think sometimes it's either your environment or the people around you that are kind of straying you from your intuition but I just really believe that Yeah, if you're really in tune with that, it will serve you well. So I would say trust your gut. It always guides you in the right direction. And then have a purpose with anything that you do, you know, whether it's that you have a business that creates a product or service or you're in a creative industry or whatever it is that you do. I think having a purpose for wanting to make the world a better place, it just makes life better. I don't know why. I just think it just does. I think otherwise life to me seems pretty mundane. I think just having a positive mission to, yeah, want to make people's lives better and make the planet a better place. I think, yeah, that's what keeps me sane really. You're so right. And in another of the episodes, I interviewed um, this woman who's actually researched how to create a meaningful life Wow! and having a, a purpose that is something that is in service of someone else yeah. or something else other than you is literally yeah we're biologically wired I think for we that are. to yeah. be meaningful to us yeah yeah, yeah. so Absolutely. Your, your, your gut <laughs> your gut aligns with the research <laughs> um, so good and what is a lesson that you still have yet to learn Probably balance, I would say. I'm absolutely, I, I think people ask me, you know, how do you find balance? And I'm like, well, I haven't found it yet. That's something that I think hopefully will come in time. And yeah, I think to just be a little more content. I don't know whether it comes from ambition. I don't know what it is. But when you asked me at the very beginning, you know, what's it like to, when you look back at your journey? And I think 
like I said, I'm always looking at the future. So I, I guess maybe a lesson that I could learn is to just like sit and live in the present a little bit more. Yeah, I would like to learn to do that. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah. And so finally, Maggie, how do we make the most of our lives? Oh, man, it's a hard one. But I think, like I said before, having a purpose. Absolutely. Life is never going to be easy. There's going to be ups and downs. But I think that leading with a strong mission and a purpose in your life gives you a northern star. And it just really is a guiding light that I think has served me well so far. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Maggie. That was wonderful. And you've given us so much food for thought. Uh, Thank you so much for everything that you are doing for people and for the planet. And yeah, all the best for your future endeavors. I can't wait to see. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's honestly such a pleasure. Um, Thank you for, for being here. And I just can't wait to see what's next for Maggie Marilyn. Thank you. Oh, I just love Maggie so much. She is so lovely and so impressive and so inspiring. There are such great things in her future. I, I cannot wait to see what she does next. But I really hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, uh, please do rate, review and subscribe to The Most of It as it helps other people know that we're here. And as ever, thank you so much to Raw Collective for partnering with me and producing this series.